Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podsite, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. Uh, I am joined, of course, by my two intrepid co-hosts. Uh, I have Kurt. Hey, Kurt. Hello there. And Chris. Hey, howdy, Chris. Howdy, Carlo. What's what's up, uh, partner? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. There's only room for one of us in this here podcast. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so guys, um, you know, uh, some great news. Uh, Kurt, I got to say that uh, I just came back from a vacation and I, I got to say I, I brought you like this really great souvenir. Um I started carving you like this walking stick. Ooh, do, pretty. Do you, want, do you want it? Yeah, because oh, I mean, why, why? Yes, I'd, I'd, I'd love it. Hey, is this from, uh, is this from the planet Kasid? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, it is. It nice. is nice. Nice. I'm surprised you're able to get your hands on this. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. I hope that no doom befalls me now. Yeah, I, oh, I, I can't imagine that it would. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it's just a tree. <laughs> it's just a tree, after all, just a tree. That's right. Uh, but yes, uh, so so uh, folks out there, if you're listening, we're, we're we're riffing, we're making jokes that we understand because basically <laughs> we read another Margaret St. Clair story. She of the many books inside of one slim one uh, <laughs> called The Gardener. Uh, and uh, Kurt, you 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 found this one right uh, in in your your quest to find more Margaret St. Clair stuff. Yes, yes. So I have in the last month or so become obsessed with Margaret St. Clair, um, <laughs> author of among other things, uh, what is it the the man who the sold sh- rope to the knolls and the shadow people and the sign of Labrys and a bunch of other stuff. Notably, we did a big a big huge far-reaching bizarre episode on the <laughs> far-reaching and bizarre book the shadow people mm-hmm. um so yeah uh i um there's not a lot of collections of her work there's there's some coming out uh um there so there there was an almost gosh an almost 35 year gap between um best ofs for her. So there was mm. a Margaret St. Clair collection that came out in 1985. This is going off of the ISFDB. Um, and uh, I believe that the next collection for her wasn't until like the like 2010s or like 2019. Yeah, looks like, yeah. 1985, the best of Margaret St. Clair and then The Hole in the Moon and Other Tales, 2019. So hmm. suffice to say, she is not, not a well-known um author apart from the shadow people and its influence on D. And I have thoroughly enjoyed reading her short fiction. I would say that she is up there in my opinion with 
uh, Bradbury and Asimov in in terms of like her. I would say especially Bradbury. I would say she's mm-hmm. very Bradbury esque in in, mm-hmm. in a lot of what I've read from her. And this piece, The Gardener, uh, which originally appeared in the October 1949 issue of Thrilling Wonder, uh, and was I think one of her earliest pieces i know her first was called rocket to limbo which i read and it, it was okay uh let's see when did this i mean to be to honest with you out? like 1946 like Dan- so this is like two years two or three years into her career i, I gotta say that uh, dante really was done poorly by uh, <laughs> by virgil if if there had been a if they just taken that rocket to limbo they could have just swapped out that whole first book yeah. you, know? <laughs> it, 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 you don't have to worry vatican ii got rid of the limbo so we're good <laughs> oh no but where's the rocket going now <laughs> to hell it became a, a little a little movie that you may have heard of called event horizon <laughs> um but anyway yeah so so i i read this story in one of the collections and for the first half of it i was just kind of like la 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 this is interesting but you know just kind of feels like typical golden age and then the second half i was literally hooting and hollering and cackling to myself as i was reading it because it, it's it's very unusual for being from 1949 it's unusual in general i would say for this type of sci-fi and i was just overall surprised um because it's 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 not like anything else that i had read from her yet uh and it's just it's just weird and different and i was like i gotta i gotta get the guys to read this because i know that that uh i know that they will enjoy it and it also reminded me of another story that we read totally unrelated even earlier than this one and um i will let you gentlemen guess at some point what story Mm. that might be it could be now it could be later Let's do later because I uh, maybe okay. if we talk it through, I'll have a better idea because I do not have one right now. <laughs> uh, you mean uh, what? What story it reminds me of that we have also covered? Hmm. It's also a short story, and we covered it in the last year and a half. Hmm. But we can come back to it. We can go yeah, back to let, that. Let, let's let's do that. Um, I, I have like a couple of little notes, but we can we can we can talk about that once we get a little bit further in because I feel like uh, it, it sort of stitches like like we need we need that particular uh, <laughs> that that connective tissue to for me to to make the references. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, so so uh, do do we want to read a little bit of the beginning? Uh, wh- what do you want? How do you want to handle this? Because I, I do I do really find that the beginning sets a tone. Yeah, that is rather good. Yeah, that if I remember uh, correctly, Kurt, that was actually how you kind of introduced it to mm-hmm. us. Was like, hey, I just read the story and it has an amazing opening, and so yeah, <laughs> I, I think we should share that. Yeah, yeah, let's let's just read that that little intro section up to uh, the pale green pictographs, which mm-hmm. which I think is is such a delightful oh, way of opening it. Um, pale green pictographs. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Uh, Would you care I have to do the me. honors, yeah. Carlo? Yeah. So. Um, Traffic cops have been known to disregard no parking signs. Policemen filch apples from fruit stands under the proprietors of very nigh. Even a little authority makes its possessor feel that the rules don't apply to him. Thus, it was that Tiglath Hobbs, acting chief of the Bureau of Extra Systemic Plant Conservation, cut down a sacred butandra tree. It must have been sheer bravado which impelled him to the act. Certainly the grove where the Butandra trees grow, there are only 50 trees in all of Cassid, which means that there are only 50 in the universe, is well protected by signs. 
Besides warnings in the principal planetary tongues, there is a full set of the realistic and expressive Cassadin pictographs. These announce in shapes which even the dullest intellect could not misunderstand that cutting or mutilating the trees is a crime of the gravest nature, that persons committing it will be punished, and that after punishment, full atonement must be made. All the pictographs in the announcement have a frowning look, and the one for atonement in particular is a threatening thing. The pictographs are all painted in pale leaf green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it rocks. It's just it's like, so good. It's so good. Yeah. This, this dummy walked by Mr. Yuck and cut down a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's so great. It how so like first of all, I, I love the character of Tiglath Hobbs. I love that he's mm. just Again, very Bradbury turn. He's like a stupid bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a pointless, you know, paper pusher who has a tiny little bit of authority. And from what we see of it, just kind of for literally for no reason, like <laughs> to I guess to, to to show that he can to just flex. kind of. Yeah. He just declares in this, you know, s- sacred grove of uh, of uh, 50 s- sacred trees, oh, this one uh, is too close to the others, needs to be thinned. And then he just cuts out a little axe and just chops it down. And every, uh, the the native, um, not, not you know, like native to the planet of uh, Kassid, mm-hmm. uh guide uh, basically loses his shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, like, it's, it's so offended. He doesn't even know what to say. He just kind of was like, uh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I did like how Hobbes's whole perception is solely focused on his like obviously colonial effort, where he's just like, well, what they, they can't do anything. I have authority in in that, yeah. you know, administration. And uh, the 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 guy just kind of like has a wry smile and is like, oh, I'm not talking about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's great because I mean, you know, if it's not already apparent, what what this story basically is, um. It, it, it basically is an an eco horror mm-hmm. story from 1949, um, written by someone who really liked nature and plants and really disliked bureaucrats. <laughs> so, uh, quick quick question and point of order, I suppose. Uh, when was it? I know that we talked about this in the Shadow People a little bit, but do you remember? Can you recall exactly when it was that uh, Saint Clair? sort of became ordained in Wicca? Mm. Uh, a bit after this. I want to say it was around 1958 or 59. Um, and I, I want to say that the earliest date for like Wicca, qua Wicca in like a, a modern recognizable sense being practiced is probably right around the time that this story would have come out, maybe in the couple years before it. Um, but there is – so I forget if I had found this the last time that we talked about her. I found a write-up in like a Wiccan zine from the 90s mm-hmm. by by someone who had been researching her and hadn't – you know, she, she had passed away by the time that they were writing this. But the author had reached out to other Wiccans from that era who had known her and kind of was able to get a read on her. And the impression that everyone had is that she and her husband were practicing something that wasn't Wicca, but wasn't far off already. 
by the time that Wicca came to the U.S. in like the early 50s. So although she may not have been, you know, officially initiated into the craft, she was already on some occult shit. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems pretty safe to say, mm-hmm. and specifically some occult nature stuff. So I think you're right that that's very much where this is coming from. I had that exact same thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 feels very much like that um, that that uh, idea of I I I only came I've only I haven't really researched it, but I, I came across it. You're did you ever read like uh, was it? Uh, it was actually in the Vampire Lestat, I think, where he comes across like these vampires that are like basically proto Wiccans, where they would put like the old, like the vampires would sleep under the trees. And oh, like the- no. Interesting. Yeah. It, it reminds me of that because I think that that was like one of these things where it, you, know, you you would, you know, quote unquote, feed the tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would they would bury uh, people under under the, the secret trees or whatever. Mm. It just makes me think of that i mm. i don't know if it's something that uh saint Clair was talking uh, was thinking mm-hmm. about when she when she wrote this but it, it seems to be like in that milieu environment mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. and that is one thing that interests me about it because like modern the modern conservation movement was around as early as like you know the 10s and 20s and 30s and 40s it wasn't really in the same it didn't quite have the same tone and tenor as it does now it was much yeah. more of like a like well, a public it, works thing than it yeah, was like yeah i mean like it, that it was really kicked off with by teddy roosevelt right with yes. the national parks and things yeah. like that so uh, yeah it, it was very much of like you know preserving the outdoors for outdoorsy stuff like um, yes. you know hiking and hunting and and that kind and, of stuff and yeah and like big government you know mm-hmm. white man with hat and gun type activities yeah, yeah. less yeah. so crunchy granola um stuff that probably would have been more St. Clair's um well, I direction. Mean, it's it's I think to your point, Chris, it's it's more towards a human purpose than for mm-hmm. itself. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. Um and, and I, I guess so, you know, speaking of human purpose, I guess we should, you know, so what, what the the story basically goes on to to narrate Tiglath Hobbes attempt to take his Butandra uh, tree that he has, you know, cut from the ground um, and get that, it back that to he Earth. has the, the beautiful detail that he just has like a little tiny axe just looped into his belt. <laughs> yeah. And he just uses it to chop it down right in front of the the yep. the, uh, the planetary um, representative or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. And he says, you're, you're forgetting my position. Even if they wanted to, the civil authorities couldn't do anything to me. And then, as you said, Carlo, Reinald gave a very faint smile. Oh, I don't mean the civil authorities, sir. He said in a gentle voice. They wouldn't be the ones. <laughs> I, I, I love I love that um, civil is allowed to hang there just yeah. sort of yes. uh, as, as both what you expect, but mm-hmm. also what's the counterpoint? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Um, that I there's, noticed there's definitely on a, some on a uncivil authority happening here. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I think is interesting about like the way that the story progresses from there, though, is that like the the story of 
Hobbes trying to get away with his, you know, his his crime against nature, basically, um, is told both from his perspective and like from the perspective of like service workers yes. that have to deal with him. So so like, you know, uh, a bunch of it is told by maids who are cleaning up after him. Um, in the hotel that he was staying on Cassie, because we, we we are to understand he was there on some kind of like official like colonial visit, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, I I I really love the that that little maids uh, sharing the hot goss. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, it's so good because it, it also introduces you to the titular character, the, the gardener gar- yes. himself. Well, uh, I, I like that it specifically ahead. mentions. Oh yeah, it's that guy who didn't leave a tip. Um, and yelled at you like an <laughs> asshole, basically. So, like, yeah. we are to understand that Tiglath Hobbs kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, yes. And Tiglath, then, yes, enter the garden. He should have been ca- called Karen Hobbs. For- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we get a description of something. Um, gosh, where is it? It's, I, I, have it's it, I have it right here. Okay. Yeah, it's it's like on page three. Um, so, uh, Marie, the chief roommate, selected a piece of mangosteen tort from the food belt as it went by. Well, she said, I was checking the rooms on, on the level to be sure the robot help had cleaned up properly. And when I saw that big brown spot on the floor, my first thought was one of them spilled something. Robots are such fools. Then it moved. And I saw it wasn't a stain at all, but a big brown thing snuffling around on the utex like a dog after something. Then it stood up. That was when I screamed. Yes, but what did it look like? Go on, Marie. You never want to tell this part. It was a big, tall, lanky thing, Marie said reluctantly, with a rough brown with rough brown skin like a potato. It had two little pink mole hands, and it had an awfully, awfully kind face. <laughs> if it had such a kind face, I don't see why you were so scared of it, Berta said. She was always she always said that at this point. Marie took a bite out of her mangosteen tort. She ate it slowly, considering. It was not that the emotion she had experienced at the sight of the face was at all dim in her mind. It was that embodying it in words was difficult. Well, she said, maybe it wasn't really kind. Or, wait now, Berta, I've got it. It was a kind face, but not for people. For human beings, it wasn't at all a kind face. <laughs> God, I, I love, love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that, like, from the beginning, the story is kind of setting up humans as being in opposition to nature in some way. Mm-hmm. As as being like, oh, like, you are, which is, you know, it's, which, you know, you can, you can debate, but certainly Hobbes is not exactly uh, living in harmony <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with, with, with nature, and I love the repeated use of kindness, um, and smiles because mm-hmm. it's 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 something that that is that's like the first mention of it, and it's it's referenced throughout, and by the end, like the idea of a, a smiling face is very ominous, um, <laughs> and people seeing kind seeming kind, <laughs> um, so from there it it uh. Oh, by the way, something something that immediately s- stood out to me is that first of all, I want to say that I-, I feel like the dialogue is a lot more naturalistic than most stories from 1949. 
Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at some Bradbury from around this period, he's definitely got some guy being like, why, Mr. Brown, the <laughs> synchro laser is almost powered up. Oh, why, thank you, Johnny. You know, load it well, onto the x-ray I mean, bed. Let's not forget that, what is it, the Velt has, like, you know, essentially has the parents turning to the camera and going, are we bad parents? <laughs> I sure hope all this technology all doesn't this- get the better of us. With all this automation, we've forgotten how to be good parents. <laughs> but uh, even on on top of that, um, what's interesting about this is, is that there are women and they're characters, mm-hmm. and they're not somebody's wife. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have they have thoughts and they say things. They have a yeah. whole conversation, and, and they're and funny they about a man and a gardener. So I guess it half passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> Look, whenever the gardener is not on the page, I want everyone to ask, where is the gardener? It it, it certainly passes the gardener test, so suffice <laughs> to say. Um, but yeah, I, I, I liked that little touch. And then I like the fact that from there, it all of a sudden shifts into being very Twilight Zone. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. I was uh, think I was thinking yeah. exactly that. Like it, it definitely like once he's back on the sh- like on the ship back to Earth, I guess, or, or wherever. He yeah, um, his his like next uh, stop on his tour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that whole situation with the captain and the force field and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels very Twilight Zoney. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I mean, just the, the the tapping on the window is like that oh, the God. Shatner episode, yeah. you know. Oh, oh! You're talking about the uh, the gremlin on the on yeah. The plane. Is that called the passenger or terror? I, terror it's at like 20, terror at five thousand feet or something. Yeah, something like that. that. Yeah, terror at thirty thousand feet or whatever. I think yes. that's what it's called. It's also uh, the one that uh, showed up on the um, on the Twilight Zone the movie, uh, which was oh. also a great one but with Lithgow and yes. in, in that's world. right yeah also re- redone in the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone oh uh, did it we oh, asked really? with yes um it's yes instead of a uh a gremlin uh Adam Scott is listening to a scary podcast <laughs> <laughs> just you know, I, I'm trying to remember if I saw this one that's I think that the the I don't want to deviate here but but the the new twilight zone is is kind of hit or miss for me i don't know yeah (laughs) i have watched zero of it um but suffice to say uh what i like about it is that again so so yeah so it's basically like terror at thirty thousand feet but you know hobbs here is a so first of all there's this nice little description about how um uh oh yes um so uh, when a ship is in deep space, the sense of isolation becomes the most tangible. It seeps into every pore of every passenger. The ship floats in ghostly fashion through an uncreated void in which, th- th- thanks Gene Wolfe, by the way, uh, <laughs> through an uncreated <laughs> void in which there is nothing, can be nothing, except the tiny world enclosed by the curving beryllium hull. And now something, something outside the ship was wrapping on Hobbes' viewing pane. Um. And yeah, he freaks out. He runs around. Um, I like when he goes to the crew and they basically are like, have you been smoking weed? <laughs> Someone says, uh, have have you been up? Have you been doing something you shouldn't? Uh, which is a very 1949 way, I, I, I feel like, to refer to drugs. Yeah. <laughs> have you been chopping down 
other types of trees. Other trees. Or, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but what I really loved about this is when he actually gets, when he actually manages uh, to see something because it says, um, there was no rapping this time. Hobbes did not know what it was that made him look up. Look up at last he did. And there, bobbing about in the tiny spot of light which seeped out through his viewing pane, was the smiling face the room made and Genlis had seen. Brown and rough, it was regarding Hobbes with incredible, with indescribable benignity. Which again, is like, there's something... There's something I think that's very effective about the fact that this is clearly a horror, like this is clearly a a, a horror uh, story. Yeah. And yet the thing you keep seeing is the emphasis like, oh, it seems so nice. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe this is maybe this is actually what, uh, you know, like if if when people talk about cozy horror, this is what they talked about. Mm-hmm. I yeah. didn't have much of an issue. He's a friendly, with it. a friendly Sur- brown guy with, with cute smile. little pink hands. Well, the, 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 I think the idea of, um, you know, the terrifying figure with the kind of like, you know, but with the smiling face uh, is, comes up a bit. Um, you know, if you think about uh, like, you know, like the rictus grin of like, even maybe the Joker or like, mm-hmm. Uh, things or, or, the, or the, man, the, the man who smiles exactly yeah that the, mm-hmm. the inspiration for that or um like you know s- stuff along those lines um but like usually those are uh, you know the, the 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 issue comes from the the you know the disconnect between the malevolence behind the smile whereas mm-hmm. like this one it, it's just purely uh benign like where there's no hint of like the danger coming coming <laughs> Well, I, I would I would also argue that one of the things that uh, is definitely a through line between like the man who smiles and the Joker and smiling in general as having sort of an uncanny aspect to it is the fact that, you know, what else smiles? Skulls in those media, in those mm. Renaissance paintings, mm. you know, that remind you death, death, mm. <laughs> death. Now, let yeah. me pause you there and ask you again. Can you think of a story that this is very similar to? See, now, every time perhaps, you ask that, <laughs> perhaps relating to what you just said <laughs> hmm. <laughs> about the other thing that might smile—a a skull, perhaps, perhaps a even skull. a screaming oh, one, a yes. screaming skull. <laughs> Well, because yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I now now that you mention, like you you made that connection, like it structurally it sort of follows a very similar it's a ghost story yeah it's yeah, very yeah, gothic yeah. yeah 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 you know Space i didn't gothic. think of it in those terms but yeah it is it is basically like a like a funny old kind of like friendly sort of space gothic. It's like space gothic, but nobody in the story seems to realize that that's the sort of story they're in. Like, the, I, I, love, I, I love that Hobbes as a character is written in a very golden age way. Like, he's just kind of like, I am here to do yeah. my thing. I am the, you know, I'm the colonist. I, yeah, exactly. Well, well, he's, I, he's I, also- I get a very, like, British officer in, in like, you know, colonized <laughs> India kind of like sense from him well yes. I, the, the the thing that came came to mind when when you were describing this and and while i was reading it too uh kurt is um that that c.s lewis um uh, i can't remember the quote exactly but he where he's talking about like how modernity's uh biggest villain is just like some some schlub some paper pusher that's just called admin that basically just <laughs> you know 
is the person that it moves troops around, but without any real regard, they're mm-hmm. just concentrating on like columns and figures and making sure that, mm-hmm. you know, stuff balances out at the end of the day. Uh, and, and I feel like Hobbes, um, to, to your point, it's, it's very interesting to me because you're, you're absolutely right. Like Hobbes and most of the human characters, the captain are, Thorwald, who I love. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, are are very much in that mid-century sort of space agey type of uh, milieu, right? Uh, and and they're they're completely like unaware of like this gothic presence, which is essentially nature, yes. capital N. And- I really like there, there's a there's a paragraph at the end that that uh, of of that section with the maids talking, where it describes the gardener who really hasn't yet been fully described properly, um, leaving Cassid, and it talks about how you know Hobbes is flying off on a rocket, and the gardener basically just walks out and gives a little push and just kind of hops, mm-hmm. and <laughs> it just zips up into space. <laughs> It's a very weird, it's it's a very weird and frankly kind of like uncanny imagery. Like it's, a, it, you know, like everything else is proceeding in a very, as you say, like a scientific fashion. And here's this thing that's just, you know, it just, it just hops off the planet, flies mm. up into space like it's got low gravity mode on. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, and like, now like, it's just okay. hanging out outside of the spaceship so, being like, hey, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's here, here it is right here. Um, the gardener left the soil of Cassid with a minimum of fuss. Not for it, the full thunder of rockets, the formalized pageantry of the spaceport. It gave a slight push with its feet, and the soil receded. There was an almost imperceptible jetting of fire. Faster and faster, the gardener went. It left behind first the atmosphere of Cassid, and then, much later, that planet's gravitational field. And still, it shot out on out into, stars, into the star-flecked dark. <laughs> it's like... What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's like uh it, it it's very like as it goes on it feels like oh, okay so first of all it does kind of feel like evil Groot a bit. <laughs> a bit. Uh, the other thing that it, that this increasingly made me think of as I read it was the Alan Moore swamp thing. Mm. No. Yeah. Um it has that very like occult nature what you know how dare man enter this place like the sense of i don't know like nature being a thing that mm-hmm. has you know rights and dignity and must be respected yeah well um, and and i i think that it's interesting here because it's it's doing exactly what like that's that's the whole point of that like that sentence, right? Well, not for it, the full thunder of rockets, the formalized right. pageantry of the spaceport. So, so it's doing something scientific, but without any of the trappings that we would consider science. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it, it gives a sense of supernatural, but, but like you uh, referenced earlier with Wolf, it feels almost like it's supernatural. It's just simply. Mm-hmm. A, a natural thing that it can do that we just don't know about because we're busy doing the the science thing, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. our, our version of, of it. it. It also kind of has like the Michael Myers quality of just kind of slowly proceeding. Everyone mm-hmm. else is running around in a big hurry and it's just like, la, la, la. Yeah. You know, just going about my way with a big smile. 
Yeah. Well, he'll get you eventually. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the problem with, uh, you, know, you, you know what evil Groot says, right? You are Groot. You are Groot. Yeah. <laughs> as, it, as it so happens, perhaps. Yes. yes. <laughs> Spoilers. So from there, we get um, what I thought was a neat little kind of social negotiation where um, Hobbs <laughs> goes to the captain of the ship and is like, I need you to turn the shields on. Just just flick them on and flick them off again. And the captain's <laughs> like, I, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> we have to write, you know, we, we have to uh, write down why it was in the log. We have to put a reason. Um, and so Hobbs goes, well, what if I bribe you? I'll pay you. And he goes, no, I can't do it. Um, and he finally gets up to, I think it's a thousand. Um, mm -hmm. And the captain goes, well, I can't. I, I can't. I can't be bribed. But yes. if we said it was a bet. Yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Which, yes. I love the implication. It's like, well, I'll get in. You know, I'm fine getting in trouble for a bet. Be like, yeah, you know, this stupid passenger bet me a thousand dollars. Sorry. I, you, which I, I, I'm guessing is like, I'm not even sure if it exp if it says what it means, but I guess it's like it's like interstellar units or something like that, or who knows? Who knows what mm. it means? Mm -hmm. um, something. <laughs> it's 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 an IOU, but without the O. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So so yeah. He he bets the captain um, that that to he he can't flick off the uh, he can't flick the shields off and on in f less than a second. Um, and he does, and there is a there's kind of a nice description of you know sh shooting golden points of light everywhere, uh, and then Hobbs looks out the window and sees this black burnt potato looking thing floating off into space. <laughs> uh, but of course, we know that it is uh, it is already starting to grow back and and crack open as as if a chrysalis. Mm -hmm. and little, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, in the depths of space, uncounted millions of kilometers away. The blackened husk of the gardener floated weightlessly. It was quite dry and dead, but did it not stir a little from time to time as though a breeze rustled it? <laughs> and what were those cracks that slowly appeared in it? Were they not like cracks in a chrysalis? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I, I think the dun, dun, dun is appropriate because this, is ver this very much dips into like spooky flashlight under the chin campfire uh, <laughs> pros at at times, like right there, where it's like, you know, is it, isn't it, isn't it moving perhaps? Like, mm -hmm. who are you asking narrator? You know, yeah. I, mean, I mean, presumably me, but I can't see it. You're just describing it to me, <laughs> but it has that, that kind of like conspiratorial um, style of like a, like a classic yarn, like a mm -hmm. Mark Twain style, style narration where it's like, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to, to come into the story for a bit and kind of play mm -hmm. around in here? You know, yeah, it, it, it plays, it plays very much with like almost a direct address type of uh, yes. voice to it. Yeah. Then. Yes. And then uh, another similarity to the screaming skull, we get some newspaper clippings mm, or yeah. uh, what does she call it? Um, uh, what is it? Uh, the stereo press newsprint. Yes, thank you. The stereo press newsprint. <laughs> <laughs> Fiend robs, mutilates liner chief. The big red scare head bellowed, and then in smaller type, the paper went on minus finger and a thousand IUs. Captain <laughs> unable to name assailant. Police make search. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know you could get the New York Post up in space. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Headless body found in topless bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in poor, so we find in out poor taste, but good good wordplay. <laughs> yeah, excellent, excellent puns. 
Um, I'm trying to think of a good one for this. Eh. You could do some 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 tree puns, uh, some some leaves. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah, eats, eats, shoots and leaves. Fiend, fiend makes like a tree and leaves with a thousand <laughs> IU's and Captain's finger. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, and, and and then Hobbs kind of goes, well, this is probably just a coincidence, but it's pretty clear that he doesn't think. Yeah, uh, it's a coincidence um, that uh, and, and he, in fact, f- f- so he basically realizes that. So first of all, a thousand dollars is the exact amount that he gave uh, Captain Thorwald. Um, and, and, and anything else in his wallet, like any other money was left untouched. Yeah, mm-hmm. he just ignored it. And also um, it was the thumb of his. It was the finger of his right hand that was taken. Uh, and he remembers that the uh, the right the, the the captain took his bribe with his right hand, um, and so uh, he he basically begins to panic, and <laughs> goes to his office um, at the Bureau of Extra Systemic Plant Conservation, and demands one of the gardeners there uh, travel to Kasid and uproot all of the remaining Butandra trees. Uh, and the man refuses and says, you know, you're not going to be able to find any gardeners that are willing to do this work for you. You know, we those are sacred trees. We're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. And he very reasonably he needs a real go getter goes, well, I'll do it myself. <laughs> Which, <laughs> well, again, you know, like, as, as they say, if you want something done right, <laughs> go do it yourself. Yes. 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 And he is definitely done right uh, in, in short order. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the change in attitude. Like, as as Hobbes kind of descends into panic, um, he 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 goes. He, for, so first of all, he remains fixated on on his his walking stick. Um, you know, he's carrying it everywhere. He's trying to carve it. He's you know he's trying to work at it with a knife. Um, when the gardener, the other gardener, the regular gardener, um, his subordinate Scott refuses to cut down the trees. Um, he, he basically gets ready to hit him with his, uh, his stick and then kind of like stops and goes, uh, mm, you know, and, and runs off effectively cancels his plans and heads back to Kasid. Cause as you say, you know, gotta take care of it yourself. You need mm. something done, right? You gotta go fight the tree man yourself. <laughs> I, I, I also love that he rented a copter from a flight yourself, Hangaridge. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the little the little it's it's almost like children's lit asides too, where it's like, um, if you could not find anyone to carry out his orders to destroy the plantation of Butandra trees, he would do it himself. Take Leth Hobbs, as as has been said before, was a stubborn man. <laughs> Which again is that, that 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 kind of like knowing aside is very like you know, it's very it's very like middle grade style. Well, it it reminds you, you now that you mentioned it and you you sort of pointed out it reminds me a lot of the um the tone that arch tone that you would find in the um uh a series of unfortunate events. Oh uh, yes. Mm. Uh not quite as arch as that but but this is very very close to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, and and I mean I, I think that those books are really heavily riffing on like like a roll doll type mm-hmm. yeah. you know oh, for sure. narration that that kind of that kind of like clever kid Precocious child voice, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he goes back. Um, he gets out his his power saw, and um, when it started talking about the power saw, I, I feel like I feel like once he arrives at the at the plantation. Um, so first of all, it mentions how 
his, you know, his guilt, anxiety, and self-righteousness had coalesced in him to form an emotion of overwhelming intensity. He hated the Butandra trees. How could there be any question about destroying them? With their repulsive staring white bark and their nasty whispering rustle, the long green leaves made they deserved. Yes, they positively deserved to be killed. How could a decent-minded man let the Butandra trees live? And I just love like the use of that that kind of like obsessive uh, fixation of <laughs> someone who is a big asshole who is it, it's it's like very Scrooge like behavior mm-hmm. you know like it at the same time he's that he is clinging to his little candle you know shaking and trembling going there's no such thing as ghosts he's like also spirits I'm coming for you <laughs> yeah well I mean that that that's the thing isn't it that, that the, the he he's he it, it feels like he's uh, He's sort of prodding himself to like a righteous rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and- he's trying to stoke his fear into rage so he can like do what he wants to do uh, without like hesitating. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also like a lot of like there's, there's a lot in this story that's trying to capture the arrogance of bureaucracy. Like mm-hmm. it also kind of feels like Hobbes is, is not just driven by carelessness he's driven by contempt at the idea that anything could be outside of his control right yes or 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 the just the thought that he might be facing consequences for anything right like how dare a fucking tree you make me gonna tell me that i can't cut down a tree that's my job i'm in (laughs) charge of these fucking trees yeah um well or you know uh as a a famous judge once said that which exists without my consent uh, or was it that which without my, my knowledge knowledge exists without my consent. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so he, he's very much of that, like, you know, world expand world, um, you know, grasping uh, era. Uh, well, I, I think it, it, it speaks to what, you know, sort of like the, the stereotype of the bureaucrat, right? That which cannot be measured does not deserve to be. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like everything needs to be reducible to rules and obedience and the idea that, you know, nature, you know, that that nature could second guess him, that a gardener, that that a subordinate would refuse his his lawful order simply because he respects trees. You know, he respects that these are sacred trees. These are important trees. Um, what, what power, what tenure does a tree have? Exactly. What power exactly. does a tree have? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm glad you mentioned tenure. Um, because, again, uh, when when Hobbes is trying to boss around his subordinate, mm-hmm. um, his subordinate basically is like, you can try and get me fired, but I'm a union man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or he. I have civil he, tenure. I believe yeah, I have civil tenure. That. Yeah, like you can't fire me. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it up in court. Whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "I, uh, if it comes to a public hearing, we'll see. In any case, I can't carry out that order, and I very much doubt, Mister Hobbs, you'll find anyone who will. It's not the kind of thing you can ask of a forester." So we uh, we pause just as. Uh, Hobbes is revving up his little power saw, and then <laughs> the my favorite sentence, my God. favorite sentence in the whole book. 
the gardener came out from behind a tree and smiled at him. <laughs> it's so good because like it's totally there's there's nothing ominous or threatening about, about that, that sentence. sentence. Yeah, like if you just take it out of context, you're like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, up until that point, like you've been you've been sort of like her like St. Clair has herded you to then make this one sentence feel <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and it's great. It's like there's been uh, it's very it's been very subtle with the imagery up to this point. Like like it mentioned, you know, there, there's been a little bit of violent imagery. Um, it doesn't even seem like the captain is very badly hurt. There's just something just off-putting about it and the fact that you don't really know what's up like it's clear that some process is going on and Hobbes is the target of it but it's not clear what it's going to be right well it feels like it has a logic to it but it's a logic that you don't understand mm -hmm. uh, like it doesn't have a human logic to it uh, in, in the strictest sense like it, it, I say human logic but like human as in we live in a society type logic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It it definitely feels like a you know, uh, you know eye for an eye logic type of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, your right finger touched the money that that man who cut down the tree uh, uh, took. Well, I'm going to take the money and the finger that touched it as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then. Uh the yeah so Hobbs screams and runs away and it simply says uh, the gardener stretched out its lanky arms and caught him easily <laughs> which again it's just very <laughs> it's not yeah. great it's not great yeah uh, and, and and like the sentences that that just sort of follow are just so brutally they're brutal yes mm. just just like so matter of factly brutal mm -hmm. like you know. Uh, with 10 separate chops of its strong white teeth, the gardener bit away his toes. While Hobbes struggled and shrieked and shrieked and shrieked, the gardener peeled away the skin on the inner surfaces of his legs and thighs and bound those members together with a length of vine. That got, like, I, I have to say, that got fuck? to me. The part about like peeling the skin. So first of all, peeling skin, I don't like the sound of that. Mm -mm. <laughs> don't like it. The, the, one of the worst days of my life was uh, hearing the word degloved for the first time. Ooh, Ooh. Yes, definitely. Uh, hey, uh, Chris, half boot <laughs> or full boot? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, I also like, it's just... The fact that it's the inner thigh, um, mm. both inner thighs, and that it, he, the, the gardener kind of trusses him up, uh, and then it it basically carves him up like scratch, like like carves scratches all over him, uh, and rubs some powder um, into the scratch. Uh, then then it carried Hobbs over to the hole it had made, and still smiling, planted him. Hmm. <laughs> I love planted him. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I I also love that because that is also uh, slang for burying you. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because like that's that's a that's a phrase that King uses a lot in um, you know, like they had to plant him in the ground or something like that. You know, mm. uh, when somebody dies. Anyway, yeah. Go go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I mean, I mean, I guess the the only thing left is really the ending, 
which is, uh, you know, when the gardener came back an hour or so later from its tasks of cultivation in another part of the grove, a thin crust of bark had already begun to form over Hobbes' human frame. It would not be long, the gardener knew, before Hobbes would become a quite satisfactory Boutandra tree. Mm. The gardener smiled benignly. It looked with approval at the graft in the trunk of the tree to the right, where what had once been Ein's Thorwald's index finger was burgeoning luxuriantly. The gardener nodded. A leaf for a leaf, it said. <laughs> <laughs> Which I could, you know, that's one of those endings that, like, there's, on, on one level, I could do without it because it it is a little bit cute. But on the other, like I do, I do like a cute little ending. Like yeah, that. So, exactly. I mean, that, that's I think I feel like that's what makes gives it like that little, that last little bit of it's the cherry on top of that Twilight Zone feel to it. You know? Yeah, yeah, because it, it what, what it's what it's doing, I, I think is is a very particular sort of horror. It's it's a horror where it's like, don't worry, this isn't it's this explicitly is not ending with a this could happen to you type thing, mm-hmm. right? Like like I feel like a lot of horror movies end with this weird haunting implication at the end of like they you know, like like every body snatchers movie always always like and they're out there and they're coming, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and and this again this kind of has that that like that campfire tale or like twilight zone type thing where it's like no, this is happening to this guy. Mm-hmm. Specifically, this guy. You don't have to worry. Just don't fuck with any trees. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it has that like ni- nice morality story bent to it. Well, it, um, it, it's. I think to your to your to both your points, it's 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 sort of assuming that the listener is in on it. Mm. He's like, you wouldn't be as stupid as Tiglath Hobbs, would you? Mm-hmm. And. and- I, I I have to say so like there were there's two reasons apart from just me liking Margaret St. Clair that I wanted to read this story. Um, a big one is just that I feel like I feel like I could read if if you ran this in, I don't know, like Nightmare or something like mm-hmm. I wouldn't bat an eye if you told mm-hmm. me that this was from the last five years. Apart from maybe being like, oh, it's funny that they're doing like a little bit of a golden age pastiche. Mm. I think the use of language, the characterization, the kind of like, I don't know, just like the structure of it. It it it, it feels much more polished and modern to me than a lot of contemporary stories, um, mm. for instance. Like it's it's not it's much less of, of you know, a space adventure story. For instance, or like a sci-fi adventure story, and Saint Clair did did write those. I, I I've read a few now that are are kind of like she she liked to do sci-fi horror type stuff. She really mm-hmm. seemed to like to combine that golden age sci-fi and horror. So there are there are a few other stories like this, but I mm-hmm. think this one, um, that just again, just like how modern it felt. Um, the other one, the other thing that just that that I liked about it is is again just this very modern view of like ecology kind of and the idea of um you know nature taking care of itself and there being processes that you are interfering with that like nature has its own custodians and just because you a human have appointed yourself to be in charge by no means actually makes you in charge hmm. yeah uh to your to your point about uh it sounding like 
something that you wouldn't bat an eye at. It sounds like it, it could have been, you know, the last five years. Uh, just last year, uh, August of last year, uh, Pseudopod ran a St. Clair uh, story called Flowering Evil. Which oh, is yes. Also, yes, I've read that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Also, uh, plants and, um, you know, not so great things happening. Well, she was a gardener. Um, and not just a gardener, but like a professional cultivator of plants, actually. Mm. Um, so she and her husband prior to world war. So, so she and her husband lived in the hills above, uh, San Francisco, basically, or like uh, the hills like before, north of San before Francisco. the, uh, before the automated, uh, before the automated bulldozers <laughs> pushed it all, <laughs> pushed it all into, into the, the bay. bay. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have to say, the entire time I was reading this, I was like, man, she really doesn't like government construction projects, <laughs> does she? <laughs> and bureaucrats. And she really likes trees. Um, but yeah, so like she she and her husband basically ran a business like importing and cultivating rare plants. So they would order all these different plants from like around the world from like specialty um, like – you know, nurseries and, and like plant supply stores. And they would try to see if they could grow them in California. And so like everyone who visited her and her husband would talk about these amazing, big, beautiful gardens um, that they had. And so like reading this, all I could think of was her kind of like wandering around her garden, you know, cultivating weird, like weird, rare orchids and cackling to herself, thinking about <laughs> fucking Hobbs getting his skin stripped. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what would make you grow so beautiful? Mm-hmm. Human skin. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing is like. I feel like the horror imagery is much more directly horror than you would yeah. expect from, mm-hmm. again, from like golden age sci-fi would typically not like it just as now there is often a barrier in the readership of sci-fi and of horror. And I, I, I think when, when sci-fi gets like goes full horror in its language, um, people can complain. And so, you know, I didn't have a chance to look, but I would be really curious to to see if there were any like reader, um, you know, le- letters about this, about this story and subsequent issues of mm. thrilling wonder stories. Yeah. I, I can imagine like, <laughs> this is a world of science. We're not supposed to be uh, d- d- still uh, thinking about the base emotions, right? Mm. <laughs> feelings, we need facts. That's what I read. That's what I read. Skiffy type stories for. <laughs> Skiffy. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, anyway yeah, I yeah, love this story. I, I, honestly, I, I'm glad that you you uh, you 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 linked this story up with us because honestly, it, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm, short uh, too. Yeah. It's like I don't yeah, know. Like, it's, 30,000 words, maybe 3,000 words. It's not long. Uh, and, and she was probably paid like $7,000. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. Back, back, back in the day. Uh, I wonder but, if but Thrilling if she, Wonder lists its, its, uh, its per word pay. Yeah, yeah but, but if she was writing for the Blue Slicks, however, that was $10,000. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating. I mean, what was it? Uh we 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 were laughing about this, but uh, I believe what was it? Gibson got offered like twenty five hundred dollars by Omni Magazine back in the eighties yeah. for like a a short story. It's like what? Well, we, we must return. <laughs> well, we looked it up, and um, 
what was it? Uh, Fragments of a Hologram Rose. I think he was paid like f- like forty five dollars, and we looked at yeah, it, it was yeah. like four hundred dollars. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to say, uh, the the table of contents of this issue is a real murderer's row um, of uh, the this October nineteen forty nine thrilling wonder stories. Um, here are some other people in the same issue: uh, Elsprog de Camp. Mm-hmm. Lay bracket, mm-hmm. as Margaret Saint Clair. We already talked about that. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, uh. <laughs> Ray Bradbury. <laughs> Whoa! And let's see, who else is anyone else notable here? Um, I vaguely am familiar with the name Henry Cutner and Edwin James, but um, nothing else especially jumps out. Wasn't but still, I mean, yes, yeah, bracket, Cutner- Elsbrock to camp. And L. Ron Hubbard and Ray Bradbury. <laughs> let me yeah, let a... me hold on. Henry Cutner sounds familiar. Wasn't he uh, C.L. Moore's partner? Oh, maybe. Let me see here. Let me just look it up real quick. Yes, C.L. Moore. You are correct. There you go. Excellent. Yes, I, I thought I recognized that name. Um, but yeah, yeah, like like uh, also CL Moore had a recent story in Pseudopod. Really? Uh, just just like in the last couple of weeks, I think. Hmm. Um, anyway, uh, I, I, I I love like I'm, I'm looking at this table of contents. <laughs> I'm sort of loving it. Like it, <laughs> it has a real sort of um, weekly world news feeling to it <laughs> in the most complimentary way possible. I also mm. like love that the last thing in the magazine is. The frying pan, a fanzine review. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the, I have to say, the ads in these old pops are hilarious. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> so let's see. Here is, uh, oh, here we go. Um, here's here's a terrific one. Um, okay, so this is called. It just says rupture, and it appears to. Be under, special underpants for hernias, I think. Oh. But it really looks like a cock harness. Oh. Uh, it's on page 158. There you go. Well, it, it was. Uh, <laughs> are these the magic underpants? Uh, yeah. We don't know. And uh, okay, directly below that, uh, get ready to live. Will you gamble one cent to win happiness, bigger income, love? Why accept fear, uncertainty, shyness, miserable luck? Plenty for all who use secrets of natural law. Is theme of inspiring 16-page book, Mountains of Gold. It's free when you win your share of life's good through natural law. Send name to Institute of Natural Law, Department T34609. Maine, L-, L. Ron Hubbard, Dallas, is that Texas. you writing this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving, I'm also loving that they have, uh, apparently, I guess this is like, uh, I guess some sort of, editorial uh on page six the reader speaks a department for science fiction fans mm-hmm. and I, I love that the um where it has the reader speaks it it's basically like a little uh uh inline uh illustration that looks like a combination like it looks like uh somebody straight out of Mad Men pointing at <laughs> The reader speaks, uh, and in the background is basically Coruscant. You know, <laughs> it's like tall towers with uh, you know spaceships, sort of like you know, just 
driving around in, in the air. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just uh, I, I love I love all these old ads too. Hey, oh, uh, here's a here's a good one. This is weird. I, I don't know what to think about this one. Studio Star. Right, hold on a second. I did the voice. Studio Starlet's handkerchiefs, beautifully drawn illustrations of models, everyone different, skillfully done on full size quality handkerchiefs, will not wash out for the artist <laughs> in your soul. <laughs> I'm, I'm, af- I'm afraid to ask what what yeah. you're doing with these handkerchiefs. I don't know, exactly. man. I don't know, man. I guess blowing their nose. <laughs> oh um, well, I-, I was gonna say something else, but hey, yeah, <laughs> it, it is it is similar. <laughs> uh, here's another good one. You are under arrest. Help bring crooks to justice through scientific crime detection. We have taught thousands this exciting, profitable, pleasant profession. Let us teach you in your own home. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, here's 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 one here's one that's uh, Baltimore based. Fast help for headache. Bromo seltzer fights <laughs> headache three ways. Upset stomach, jumpy nerves. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, there there is down in downtown uh, Baltimore. Uh, one of the cooler little uh, features is the Bromo seltzer tower. <laughs> I shit you not. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, I was just sort of like, wow, okay. <laughs> hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I sort of miss. Do you remember getting like those comic books and they'd have like these oh, little dude, weird yes, ads absolutely. and shit? God, do you know how many times, man, I pined uh, living in Puerto Rico because uh, you'd get these comic book ads and I wanted so badly to get like a mail order uh, Venus flytrap. <laughs> but they wouldn't ship to Puerto Rico. Oh, man. It's not part of the continental U.S., Ugh. sadly. Only recently did that happen. So, anyway. We should not return for that. Yeah, no. I, I, it's, it's, it's funny, though. Like, when you actually... I, something I've been trying to do is read these stories in the context that they were published, if possible. Um, and it's just... It's just I don't know. It's it's weird. Like it's just so strange. Like seeing these, just just imagining people reading them alongside these bizarre fucking ads. Mm-hmm. Dude, dude, no, no, no. Turn turn to page forty two. The Sprague the Camp is hilarious. The 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 drawing that they paired with it. L Sprague the Camp, the Hibited Man. <laughs> I, I love it. was I, I, just I, a timid mouse of a man until he was talked into letting scientists use him to test a machine that made him more like a lion. Oh my God. Does it make him a sex maniac? Apparently. It, because drawing. the illustration is just all these like half-dressed women running in panic. Like, <laughs> like, like, like he's like he like he's burst into like a dressing room, like a backstage and some play pa- or he, review. He's carrying a paintbrush and a bucket of paint. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to paint the town red, oh, literally. Oh, well, you uh, know, we didn't talk about the excellent illustration that accompanied. Um, oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Story, it's it's great. Um, Chris correctly or accurately pointed out that um, the the gardener appropriately looks very much like Peter Sellers as <laughs> Chauncey Gardner. Yeah, uh, from, uh, from from the uh, film being, being there. Yeah, um, it does rather give away the end because it it has this, but it is a fucked up illustration where it's got yeah. like oh, that. 
that illustration body with like weird little like pod people tendrils of roots and you know Mm -hmm. feelers growing down and around and into his body um, I also love that uh, the above ground is like this beautiful quilted uh, yes. field. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I would kill to get an illustration like that for, for a story right? of mine, man. Yeah. It's great. It's sick. It's just sick. Anyway, I, it's just, I don't know. It gives me appreciation for like, it, it's it's always interesting to me to see these kind of forms like golden age sci-fi, you know, that have a reputation of being very staid and boring and seeing, you know, because t- like th- this is this is towards the end of that particular era of golden of golden age sci fi. There's still a fair bit, you know, there, there's still a good bit in the 50s and 60s. But I, I would say with the 50s and 60s, you're, you're, you're kind of getting into like the rocket age type sci-fi like what mm-hmm. we would consider like a hard sci-fi mm-hmm. and in the late 40s you do have that but it's it's running side by side with like you know what you might call like the shiny rocket ship type type stories which are like yes they're science stories but they're also very pulp um mm-hmm. and so it's it's interesting to see people you know like much much how like the games that come out towards the end of a console's life um, tend to make the best use of the hardware available. I, yeah. I, I think that, like, if you look at the the end of these eras of of like sci-fi and fantasy, you find people like Saint Clair really experimenting with the form and trying to see, like, well, what can you do? What can I combine this with? Can I make a sci-fi ghost story? You mm-hmm. know, can I can I make this like spooky and weird and off-putting? You know, does it uh, what? What if what if the cool rocket man is like a minor character? You know, what if I'm more interested in what maids and bureaucrats are doing than in what, you know, the heroes are doing? Well, I, it, it also points to the fact that uh, St. Clair was, what, born in 1911, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that, yeah. Um, so, so she is definitely, at this point, she's already starting to straddle two eras, right? Yeah. And and this is a perfect sort of um, encapsulation of that, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like this weird sort of magic-y, spooky, you know, afraid of modernity. But there's definitely, th- there's an incursion of a bunch of shiny rocket ships in this story, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she's sort of like blending both things together in a way that is, that feels really interesting. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think it, it feels very modern still. There's another story that I thought about suggesting, but it's not it's it's not nearly as good as this one, but it is it is interesting in in, in a similar way called the Hierophant, um, and it's basically like it, again it's a very golden age you know shiny silver rocket explorers ship uh, a story about these um th- this crew of like two people, and they run out of fuel or are almost out of fuel in like an asteroid belt. Um, and they land on an asteroid where they see a derelict ship has crashed. Um, and they, they start exploring it, looking for fuel that they can use to refuel their ship. And, um, one of the, one of the crew members finds, starts like feeling, feeling something like something brushing up against her back basically and like disturbing her hair and she can't figure out what's going on um and she increasingly starts having these weird 
like visions, very like religious visions of like a glowing tree and sacred fruit and and a promise of like eternal bliss. And she basically starts like hallucinating all this stuff. And, and what it turns out that she finds is this like she she has found a symbiotic organism that has been stranded on this asteroid for thousands of years that is basically like a a parasite that was used as part of like a religious ceremony thousands of years ago that it would it would bond with people and put them in this state of like religious ecstasy and that that was how people were were converted um and it's neat both because it it kind of again it's very much like a space gothic story but unlike this one that story ends on a very ominous like haunting downer note. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's squarely in that, like that golden age style. And you're reading it going like, this is not like, this is weird. Like it, it's, it's doing stuff like, damn, can you do that? <laughs> mm. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I get a lot of pleasure out of, out of reading this stuff and like finding these things and um, just kind of trying to put them in the context of when they were written and like these people's careers. And it's interesting how many people, you know, I mean, St. Clair wrote from the mid 40s to the late 70s, and she wrote like one thing in, in the 80s, I, I think. Mm. Um, and she wrote like a hundred something short story, or she had, she had published a hundred something short stories, like five or six novels. And she is by no means a, a, a major name. And it's just interesting to, and kind of, it's it's both kind of sad and kind of exciting to think about these, these, wor- these bodies of work of unknown quality and quantity that are just out there for you to go, you know, find and uh, discover and be like, what are they, you know, what were they doing in, you know, different eras of their career? So I don't know. I I get a lot of joy out of stories like this. So, so thanks for giving me the opportunity to ramble on. No, this, this story ruled. This Um, story rocks, man. Yeah. Um, It it very much um, brought to mind of like things of like, uh, I, I know he's, he's, a bad man and but like warren ellis was very much into like you know the the strange like prehistory of like europe or, or uh, uh particularly england and how that ties into like you know the nature of, of the, mm-hmm. the of the land and things like that and this kind of brings me along those lines of like the the um the green line was like the green man um stories like things like that mm-hmm. like very very um or, or uh, along the lines of like um, a field in England where it's kind of like it's a story about the English Civil War, but it's very much tied to the the, the nature, um, like the ground upon which it's, you know, happening on, like mm-hmm. and the psychedelic, uh, you know, uh, you know, planes that it can re- bring you to. Um, I, I kind of got that sense from this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And fi- my last thought is uh my name is the lorax i kill for the trees <laughs> my name is the warax <laughs> <laughs> there you go all right so uh yeah kurt thanks for thanks for bringing this to my attention um st Clair, like obviously has uh ha- has had like some some staying power in my own like i i think i'd mentioned it uh perhaps offline or maybe in in some other discussion that you know like i i had run across her you know the man who sold rope to the knolls um i think like i want to say in 
now that I'm thinking about it, I may have checked out like one of those old Alfred Hitchcock presents. Oh, those are great uh, storybooks. Um, and it might've been in that or whatever, but it, it was also, it's also been collected. I believe in the weird, the, the Vandermeer edited one. Um, so, so yeah, like if, if you, you like this vibe, go, you know, go, go check out the other stuff. Also, uh, I believe if you wanted to hunt down more, you know, St. Clair stuff, uh, just, just do what Kurt did. Look it up on the ISFDB and uh, start tracking shit down, I guess. Yeah. So so our archive.org has a lot of old sci-fi and fantasy pulps, especially from like the 20s to the 40s. From the 50s to the 70s, it gets a little bit thinner, probably because people are a little bit more paranoid about like the copyright. Um, but there's a, there's a great deal of them are out there. Um, I will say I initially read this in um, a collection called The Hole in the Moon and Other Tales, uh, which is edited by Ramsey Campbell, um, who I would love to get on at some point. Um, hmm. I think he would he could be uh, a quite interesting guest. Um, yeah. And he wrote he wrote um, a pretty a, a, a pretty interesting um, like introductory essay uh, about St. Clair um, in in that book. Um, and it was, uh, I think I got it off of Amazon. It was, it was cheap. It was like 10 bucks or so, well, you know, cheap, but you know, it's a paperback. So yeah, it has a good yeah. selection. And there, there, there's a few more, more or less authorized collections that are out there. But, uh, but uh, it seems like there's, uh, I suspect that at least a third of her short fiction um, works are just not available anywhere. Oh. Um, so there's a little project for uh, for another time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any any last thoughts uh, other than uh, folks, just go read this. Uh, I'm going to include the uh, the link in the uh, show notes to the archive.org. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd known about that before I I uh, I went through and, f- and uh, photographed every page of the story. <laughs> luckily, not luckily, not a super long story. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, like go go read it. Uh, if you like that type of thing, yeah, like just go go search out more stuff by St. Clair. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, thanks again, Kurt. Great, uh, great find. Digging around over in archive.org and Absolutely. used bookstores. Uh, and everyone out there, thanks for listening. You could have read this story four times by now. <laughs> But we'll, but once you do, we'll be here waiting mm-hmm. for you next time here on Podside. Really need you.